sometimes it's really important not to be blinded by your own um, your own your own perceptions about what's acceptable and what isn't. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder, we're chatting with expert buyer's agent Simon Liu. We're diving into the topic of quality versus quantity, why having a balance of both in your portfolio is important and how it mitigates risk why the best quality suburbs aren't always the best to buy into and much, much more. We start off with Lou sharing his opinion on quantity versus quality. I don't think there is any right or wrong. You know, I think it's it's dependent on different situations. Um, you know, and depending on different goals as well, you know, as investors, we all have our own individual goals that we want to try and achieve. Um, and the other thing I wanted to, to stress is, you know, just because you buy a lot of, just because I buy a lot of quality, uh, quantity type properties, it doesn't mean that you have to forego quality either. You know, so I think there's, there's definitely, it's definitely a good thing to have a balance and I'll kind of explain a little bit why. I'll break it down into three three simple points. I guess you can say why I think quality, uh, sorry, quantity is equally as important as quality. The first reason is you there's much less risk having lower loan amounts spread across multiple assets. You know, so if you had let's say an, a maximum borrowing power over the life of your investment journey of five million dollars. You know, if you had two or three super, super nice blue chip houses, you know, within that $5 million loan limit, then you're you're just exposing yourself to three houses at the end of the day during that whole ownership period, you know, exposing yourself to most likely extremely low rental yields. You're exposing yourself to three tenants only. You're exposing yourself, you know, to three kitchens, three, three physical houses that has each will have its own maintenance issues over time. And look, I mean, I think, the you know, we discussed this in a previous podcast, but the reality of owning investment properties is that you're just maintaining headaches and issues that come up during the ownership period. So what do I mean when I say this, by headaches? I'm talking about maintenance. I'm talking about busted hot water tanks. I'm talking about broken stoves. I'm talking about, you know, tenants. I'm talking about vacancies. I'm talking about bad tenants. Um, you know, tenants who fall behind in rents. Now, if you have a $5 million loan amount or loan limits or or $5 million uh, property portfolio and you've got – and within that that loan amount, you've only got three properties. If one of those properties go through a vacancy or go through a a maintenance issue or an insurance claim, then it's going to hurt you extremely severely in your back pocket you know, from a passive income perspective, because you've only got two properties that are, you know, doing what it's supposed to be doing. And look, I mean, heaven forbid, if you had two properties that are, are going through some kind of, you know, situation where it's not producing rent or producing income, you're going to be in an even bigger hole. Now, we all talk about, you know, buying property for capital growth, which is great. We all have the aim of these properties going up in value. But a lot of people forget that, for between the time of you buying the property and, and, and capital growth happening, 
it can be several years and it often is several years, you know, up to 10 years or, or even more. So it's always about, you know, during that 10-year period, how how are you sort of maintaining um, ownership consistently of these properties and, you know, ensuring that you're not ever in a position where you're forced to sell? Because when you're forced to sell in, and if it's a bad market, then it's obviously not uh, not not a uh, not a very good thing for for uh, for any investor. We delve into how having a balance of quality and quantity in your property portfolio can help avert risk. So I think balance is key. You know, I'm not suggesting that people go out and buy twenty, a hundred thousand dollar, you know, uh, units or whatever out in Woolwood. Um, but I think there's got to be a balance. I mean, you know, in a, any capital city, for example, in Australia, you know, you've got your extremely wealthy, nice blue chip areas, and then you've got your extremely sort of lower socioeconomic areas. I think somewhere in the ba- in the middle is always a good balance for from a for, for what I would consider like an investment grade type property. You know, those are the kinds of areas where uh, it's it's the the majority of people of households can afford to buy to rent. Those are the kinds of properties that have the biggest potential to gentrify over time and become more sort of quote unquote upper class. And those are the kinds of properties that are always in 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 demand from a rental perspective, from a buying and selling perspective. Um, you know, th- so you know, from a from a from a risk management perspective, I, I feel like that these kinds of uh, uh, properties are, are are definitely are definitely probably more. Um, uh, a safer bet, let's just say, you know, bringing me, I guess, to my second point, which is which is having safety in numbers. So, you know, if if you if you have a portfolio of just three very expensive properties, you know, like I said, and if two of them are struggling, then you've only got one property producing income. You're gonna be you're gonna be having a hard time for at least that that short amount of period. But if let's say you let's say you don't have twenty properties, let's say you've got ten properties. You know, which is quite realistic for a long-term investor. If your if your goal is, let's say, passive income, and you've been investing for 10, 20 years, to accumulate 10, you know, sort of middle middle ring suburb type properties. You know, if one one of them is struggling, having a vacancy, if two of them, or even three or four of them are struggling, you've still got a whole bunch of properties doing what it's supposed to be doing, from a cash flow perspective. You know, from a um, from a uh, a tenancy perspective. You know, so your head is still above water, so you can still wait it out, if that makes sense. You know, because the goal, as I said before, is obviously for these properties to go up in value eventually. But, you know, you need to be able to sit it out. You need to be able to wait it out for that to happen. Um, and look, I mean, having having 10 or so properties in more sort of affordable areas also brings in higher rental yields. Which means that you just have more more cash flow over time. Having a quantity of quality properties in your portfolio is a way to safeguard yourself if something unexpected might occur in your life. The third point is that if you have more cash flow, you're just in a much less risky position because most of us, you know, investors, we, you know, we're not super high income earners earning millions of dollars a year in you know, in, in our day jobs, if we're earning, you know, let's say combined income of $150,000, you know, having having one or two properties may already um, negatively geared may already be eating into your into your your weekly expenses, your monthly expenses. 
but having that that cash flow just backing you up along the way just ensures that whatever situation you might be in, it's less likely that you'll have to dip into your own back pocket to maintain properties if they are struggling, going through a bit of a bad patch or, or struggling a little bit from time to time. So I really do feel like in short, those, those kinds of three points is, is, is the reason why I feel like having, having qual- uh, uh, quality properties in quality areas where all the fundamentals stack up, but not ensuring that the loan amounts tied against each asset is quite low, you know, ensuring that you've got, you're spreading your, uh, your capital across multiple assets. And also, you know, if you were in a position, let's say, for example, you had a, a, a bad personal issue come up uh, and you have to liquidate some of your properties, you had to sell down some of your portfolio, you've got more options if you've got 10 properties. You know, if you wanted to sell, let's say, half that portfolio, you're still left with another half that's, you know, hopefully pr- producing enough passive income to to um, to see you out that, that particular bad patch or whatever situation you're dealing with. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into some of the common mistakes that property investors make. Because I think naturally people in, in property at least always aspire to, 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 to buy the best quality suburb that they can afford, um, which, which sometimes from an investing perspective is a mistake. How you can mitigate risk in your property portfolio. It's all just about having a balance. You know, ensuring that you've got cash flow, ensuring that you're spreading that risk across multiple loans, multiple properties, you know, is important. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Have you been looking for months and getting frustrated that each property you've seen seems to be a lemon? Or are you after distress, off-market, high cash flow properties in high growth areas, capital city locations? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you are not alone. For being a loyal listener of the podcast, Simon Liu is offering a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote Property Investory. The location that you buy into is very important but that does not always mean looking to buy in the best quality suburbs. Sydney is a very unique market like you could have thrown a dart on a map in 2009, you know, anywhere in Sydney and you would have made, you know, 100% growth in the in the subsequent sort of five to eight years, um, you know, even in the super lower socioeconomic areas, um, you know, places like Mount Druitt and, and, and those kinds of places has experienced extreme amount of growth and, and in most cases, even more percentage wise than, than a lot of the more sort of blue chip areas. I think it comes down to like quality. I think is 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 one of those things that a lot of people have various opinions on. You know, like uh, you know, using Sydney as an example, I guess the the two main areas where a lot of people aspire to own property are are on the North Shore and in the eastern suburbs. These are always considered to be the more sort of blue chip, and maybe parts of the inner west as well. You know, more sort of blue chip areas where people want to end up in terms of where they want to live. Um. But I think, you know, over time, it's it's really interesting to see how growth happens. 
and where growth happens. Because uh, I think we've talked about this in, in a, again in a previous podcast about affordability. You know, for for a for a two million dollar house, which is generally what you know an average house would would cost, you know, in what you would consider a blue chip area in Sydney. You know, for that to double in value to four million dollars, you're starting to get into a, a realm where it's extremely unaffordable for the majority of the population. You know, whereas if you're starting out with a property that's maybe worth eight hundred thousand dollars, you know, still in a decent suburb, not 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 in a you know very low socioeconomic area, albeit me you know maybe in sort of borderline working class slash middle class areas. You know, for that property to 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 be worth one point six million dollars in uh, in in five years or ten years time, that's I would I would consider socially a more realistic outcome you know based on median income standards you know based on affordability um so you know a lot of people talk about capital growth and obviously quality is tied in a lot with the capital growth potential but i think at the end of the day it's i mean nobody has a crystal ball so the question is really is it's kind of just like 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 i said initially it's all just about having a balance you know ensuring that you've got cash flow Ensuring that you're spreading that risk across multiple loans, multiple properties, you know, is important. But also buying in in areas where the 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 growth potential, not only from an infrastructure and government spending and you know location to shop, schools and transport, but also from an affordability perspective, is also quite important. And I think is one of those things that become a little bit missed when 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 people do their research, because I think. Naturally, people in in property at least always aspire to 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 buy the best quality suburb that they can afford, um, which which sometimes from an investing perspective is a mistake. I agree with you on that because you know I I take a look at my own example. I remember back then going and looking at particular suburbs that I was very interested in back oh more than a decade ago around the ride area kind of thing. And I had learned from, I guess, speaking to a few experts and also a few coaches in, in property investment that they said, look, you should try to find properties that are around those suburbs that are not so already priced up quite highly. So I said, all right, well, we're going to have a look at Ermington. Ermington is pretty much one of the suburbs sort of on the outer rings of right area. And um, it was still reasonably priced. And I could have picked up a, a place down there for about 360, 370,000 that was pretty much on the water um, but it just needed a little bit of work. You know, renovation might have cost about 20,000 to do. Uh, now that particular property I know when I looked back there which is a missed opportunity was worth over a million dollars and that's because I guess those suburbs have picked up because the affordability back then and I think back then when we were looking at ride it was still at least about half a million to 600,000 to be able to purchase a house in the right area. So there was at least $200,000 difference in terms of pricing based on just basically in the next suburb and that would have been a five minute drive around the corner. And I think from an investor's point of view, if you can find suburbs like that that are more or less up and coming, you know, over the long term, they will be a lot better to buy in. Um, same thing as you said, Mount Druitt, it's pretty much very close to the Penrith and Penrith is also a very, very well-known CBD hub. If it wasn't that close to that, then it wouldn't be worth so much. But because of that, it's had such a huge amount of growth and I think that's the reason why it's attracted so many people who can afford to buy in those properties in and around those areas. So it is very important to look at it from that point of view because that's where potentially quality does come into play. 
And bad quality areas, like, you know, that example that you gave, you gave there is, is important because, you know, quality is a perception, you know, and bad quality areas, once perceived as bad quality, can change very, very rapidly. Lou shares with us some of the suburbs that have grown in quality over time and what buying into these areas can do for your portfolio. And even like, you know, suburbs now that are considered up, uh, you know, quite quite expensive, like, you know, parts of the right area, you know, leading onto areas like Carlingford and Tilopia and like more around areas like around Parramatta. You know, you've got areas like Tungabi and, and those kinds of pockets where previously, you know, it would have been considered, uh, you know, quite run down, quite lower socioeconomic. Um, now would be considered, you know, very standard average family middle class type areas. So perceptions change over time. And it usually comes down to affordability at the end of the day. You know, everyone obviously aspires to be in the best suburb possible, but it comes to a point where they simply can't afford it. I'm talking about the 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 mass population, um, and they immediately gentrify the next best thing. You know, and it it just kind of creeps out to the point where, you know, you've got areas that used to be, uh, you know, looked down upon, suddenly become very expensive areas. I think actually Balmain is a very, very good example because Balmain years and years and years and years and years ago used to be a very sort of working class, you know, very blue collar area. It was considered a very rough area as well. But now in Balmain, I mean, you know, your two, three bedroom terrace houses, you're looking at two million bucks, you know, on tiny blocks of, blocks of land as well. So, you know, you know, things change over time. And I think, I think at the end of the day, you know, if you strip away all the all all the, I guess you could say all the fat and all the, all the, um, you know, moving parts of of ongoing property investment, you know, it, it really comes down to, you know, properties in well located fundamental areas, you know, that will increase over time, but the question is how much time. So, you know, if you if you own one five hundred thousand dollar house and it increases by ten percent. Then you make fifty thousand dollars in equity, but if you own ten five hundred thousand dollar houses and it increases by ten percent, then you make five hundred thousand dollars in equity. But the trick is like, how do you buy? How do you accumulate ten five hundred thousand dollar properties, and how do you maintain them over that that five or ten year period to realize that capital growth? I think I think is 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 the real question that a lot of investors, long long term investors, need to ask themselves rather than trying to guess, I guess, you know, the next hotspot and, you know, guess the next growth area. Um, so that balance between quality versus quality uh, quantity, I think is very important. When you're investing in property, it is vital that you don't get in your own way and let your emotions dictate your decisions. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, maybe maybe some some tips and advice for, for any investors or maybe even new investors out there is, is, to, is to not not get too caught up in in your own perceptions about what what is uh, an acceptable area to buy in or an acceptable suburb. I see this a lot with my own clients, especially very very new clients. You know, they they want to stay within ten kilometers of the CBD or twenty kilometers of the CBD because they feel like you know twenty one kilometers out of the CBD is suddenly just barren wasteland where uh, where the properties are. You know, just you know, full of uh, you know people on Centrelink and unemployed. You know, you know that that, that kind of stigma to it. Um, but the reality of the fact is, you know, wherever you are, whichever capital city that you live in, 
um, wherever you, where, yeah, I mean, even even regional areas, you know, you've got nice pockets everywhere. You know, there's there's definitely areas that you should definitely stay away from. You know, it's very very low socio areas where where it's you know probably um, common uh, common knowledge that it's 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 extremely uh, you know may not be the best place to live in. But then there are very sort of you know average average or quite nice you know it's just suburban family friendly areas that even though you might not want to live in yourself because you you maybe have grown up in a or, or live in a different kind of situation or lifestyle. But those can make some of the best investment areas, you know, and from an affordability perspective, it also ties in very well, uh, you know, from a cash flow perspective and, and buying properties that are, are not, you're not sort of overextending yourself when it comes to getting loans and you're, you're kind of spreading that risk across multiple assets and things like that. So, you know, sometimes it's really important not to be blinded by your own, um, your own, your own perceptions about what's acceptable and what isn't. And once you kind of get past that hurdle, it, it, it enables you to just just look at it from a very uh, black and white perspective, you know, and just and just invest in properties that will ultimately achieve your own personal goals. Thank you to buyer's agent Simon Liu, our guest on this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. Also, for being a loyal listener of the podcast, I've asked Simon to offer a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help you put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415 626 342 and quote, property investory.